Welcome. We're continuing on in our study of the Bible. We're working through the Bible together a chapter at a time. We covered the New Testament. It took us five years and change, and uh, that was a great study. Now we're moving into the Old Testament. We're a year and a half in. We're in Exodus chapter 14 today. We work through the Bible a chapter at a time. It's, it's, uh, it's a great way to try and keep things in context. Um, it, it gives us a lot of information that we need to have um, as uh, followers, and I, I think it's very important that we um, work through those things, and doing it as a group is, is helpful, uh, and so we're able to give it some time, in it's 20-minute chunks, kind of read through it, talk through it, see what's going on, and cover the, uh, some of the high points. Remember the Exodus, where we're at now, things that I, I talked about having to, you remember um, was the idea of um, Passover, which we've been talking about, how important that is and what that means. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea, which we're looking at a little bit more today. Um, the, the, uh, the giving of the law and the tabernacle. So those are the things that we're going to be looking at and that have certainly an impact on us even today in lots of ways and that we understand the New Testament. So uh, in Exodus, so far we've, we've worked through the ten plagues together and, um, you know, why they're happening and what took place and... God demonstrating in, that He was, in fact, God, um, not only to the people of Israel who had been enslaved for 400 years and may have had some questions at that point, and we'll also find out as we continue on through the, through the Bible that they had um, many begun to also worship these false gods where they were. Um, so we had that going on. And He was demonstrating to the Egyptians that He, in fact, was God um, and that Pharaoh wasn't, and neither were the false little g-gods and goddesses they worshipped. And um, uh, this was all done through this series of plagues because it was time for the people of Israel to go, and Pharaoh refused to let them go because they were his slave labor force, and uh, he wasn't, he wasn't going to hear it. And so each time God demonstrated who he was in very powerful ways, each time Pharaoh just said, no, it's not going to happen. The last plague, the, the tenth one that we looked at, was the most horrific of all, the death of the firstborn. Um, but it introduced for us the idea of the Passover lamb and what that meant and how the blood of the lamb uh, allowed the firstborn of Israel to be passed over from death and how it's all a foreshadowing of Jesus as our Passover lamb whose sacrifice, um, you know, rescues us and frees us from the death we all deserve because we're all sinners and gives us the entrance into life now and forever. And so um, all these things are at work. The parting of the Red Sea that we're going to um, look at, um, you'll see some connection to baptism as we go through that, that, that really the deliverance of um, the people of Israel at this point in time is through the water. And uh, it's kind of a fascinating idea and concept and what happens, so, so sort of be looking on that, and it's really sort of the nation of Israel, it's, it's almost baptized at this time, and they kind of come out new on the other side after being chased through. Um, you'll, you'll also find, though, that like most of us, they, uh, they, they, they stay connected to God for very brief periods of time, even after they've seen Him move in, like, significant ways. It only takes a couple of days and some difficult situations for them to think, oh, God doesn't care about us. We should, we should have gone back. We should go back. And the, the first complaining like that happens in uh, the chapter today where they, 
they begin to complain, this time because they're afraid. But they've just, remember, they've just seen God move in these mighty ways. And yet, most of us have seen God do some really incredible things. And then the next time we have a bad circumstance, we think we're all alone. It's, it's very much, have to be careful. It's not like, what have you done for me lately kind of thing, <laughs> which is where it gets to all the time. And this, you'll see this a lot with the, uh, the Israelites. They are complainers um, in the 40 years in the desert and uh, on the journey. So where we stopped uh, last week, if you remember, um, all that, that plague has just happened, and uh, Pharaoh has said, you know, ordered Israel to leave, just get out and go, and they have um, been able to acquire silver and gold and jewels from their neighbors uh, for this worship, which was really just payment for 400 years of slave labor, and they've gone. They came in, when, in our study in Genesis, we found out that when Israel came in to Egypt, there were 70 of them. Now, 432 years later, there's 2 million of them on the way out. So they have become this nation now. And they, they're beginning to re, be referred to as a nation um, at this point in the Scripture. So, however, once again, Pharaoh has a change of heart, change of mind. Thinks, uh-oh, what have we done? We never should have let them go because now we've sent out our complete labor force and along with all the other things that we've been devastated by, we have also just told our entire labor force to go, let's go after them. And um, so, again, you, you see him just, he doesn't, he, he's had every opportunity to get that God is God, and he refuses to take it in. And, and so this time, um, Pharaoh and his army are going to go after them, and they are, they are um, once again proven not to be who they think they are, is they're, they're in effect decimated by God as they track down the Israelites, thinking they're just easily going to grab them up and bring them back. And it doesn't work that way. And we also were talking uh, the last time we met that they, they've been, they didn't go the direct route sort of out. They've been kind of circling around a little bit already. And it looks like maybe, you know, maybe Pharaoh's thought is, look, they're confused. They're, this is going to be easy. Let's go drag them all back in. And uh, that's sort of what begins um, in this process. Um, God's going to get the glory once again. He's going to triumph over Pharaoh and the false gods and goddesses of Egypt. And, and um, again, he's still demonstrating to his people who he is. Um, and, and it's something they really need to take in. And to the Egyptians once again. Um, the uh, a fascinating thing's going to happen as we read, you know, the, the pillar that's been guiding them. Um, through day and night. We talked about that last time we were together. Uh, it's been going off in front of them. Um, you know, the, it's an epiphany, an angel, the angel of the Lord, however you want to describe it. It's the presence of God with them. Um, at Halfway through this chapter, the angel of the Lord is actually going to move around behind them, and the Egyptians in pursuit are going to see darkness, and the Israelites on the other side are going to see the light of, of the Lord. It's a very fascinating picture of what happens. So the Egyptians, so he's protecting his people all this time. And, and yet, they, they're going to get very frightened, which I, I think you have to give them some credit. They're, they're being chased down by the Egyptian army, which includes 600 chariots, um, which would have been the uh, equivalent in Bible times of tanks. That's what they would have felt like to regular folks. And so imagine being, looking up and seeing 600 tanks bearing down on you. And... 
you, you ain't got a weapon in the... You know, chariots and horses are a pretty significant deal. Have you watched Ben-Hur? <laughs> the old Ben-Hur. I don't know if the new one's any good, but the old Ben-Hur. Chariots and horses. Chariots and horses, fascinating thing, you know, because in the Psalms it says some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord. But a lot of people put their trust even today in chariots and horses. And uh, I like to think about that whenever I feel myself getting caught up in things that really take me out of trusting in the Lord for stuff. I, I have that, I use that term now. That's chariots and horses. I'm not going to let it bother me. It's chariots and horses. I don't, my trust isn't there anyway. They, they don't, it's not where you put your trust. They don't work. They don't last. And anything that's not what God's up to is chariots and horses. So, sort of an interesting thing. But, okay, it may not be as scary as 600 tanks, but it was scary. All right. Yeah. <laughs> not, if you're, not if you're walking with God, but. <laughs> All right. Um, as I said, as we look at this, you're going to see this first hint of the Israelites' tendency to complain when things aren't going the way that they think they should, and they, they do it a lot. And uh, the, the moment they sort of begin to face discomfort or trials, they complain to uh, Moses, they complain to the Lord, and they want to go back to Egypt. Shocking. They just take us back into slavery because we didn't have to worry about this stuff back there. And think about how miserable it was for them while they were there. You know, that it's crazy. But um, anybody here ever complain? So you, we can work up some grace for these folks, right? All right. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it, it, and, and God's moving on their behalf, not because they earn it, because they don't, but because of his love for them. I think that's really important to get to. God keeps his promises, and, and it's, it's on his faithfulness not on ours, because ours wavers, and that's a very good thing. Not that we're not supposed to be faithful, but God keeps His promises, and that's a really good and important thing. And uh, once again, uh, we'll see that He wants to know the Egyptians, know that He's the Lord. Exodus 14, there's 31 verses. I'm reading out of the New International Version, um, which will, a version of which will show up on the screen, although we're not in sync, because I read from the 1984 version, I won't update it, and the newer one changed in 2012, and so I'm hung into the old one. But whatever translation you like is fine. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them 
as they camped by the sea near Piharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? So not only are they complaining, they're a little sarcastic. Do you notice a little sarcasm? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a well of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so this is a great chapter of Scripture. Um, and it's, uh, as, I, as, as you read it, I hope that you're able to use your holy imagination just a little bit and try and fathom it. Try and get a picture of what it must be like. And don't be limited to sort of the Hollywood interpretation of what happens um, in the process. And yet, imagine that as they come to the sea, because they're trapped up against the sea, right? They got, they got the sea, and then they got this vast Egyptian army 600, uh, you know, his best 600 chariots, plus anything else they get, plus troops, plus, plus, you, you name it, they're all back there. Here's this company of two million, but 
you know, they, they're not weaponized by any stretch of the imagination. They're not, they're not fleeing with weapons. And um, they, women and children, and their, their whole deal, they've left everything, and here they are up against the sea, Egyptians coming. They see this taking place. They're going to Moses. What have you done? We would have been better off there. And, and you know, in your, in your imagination, just Moses, you know, who was confident at this point in time, and because he'd seen the Lord done, you know, he remembered... And he just, and the sea, the, the wind comes in and it just piles the sea up on itself. And, and they're able to walk through on dry ground. So um, I can't, I, I often wonder what would it be like? I mean, you know, could you, were fish flying out? <laughs> or, or was it sort of, you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of wonder about those things because that would be cool, right? And look, and fish dinner too. Um, I, I, I just, I try and imagine what it must have been like. And, and you know, the, uh, and they have to go across and they, they'd never seen anything. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. And so the Israelites, I mean, you can imagine they're kind of walking around going, wow, uh, on this journey. And, and uh, I, <laughs> maybe it wasn't wow, but they could have been saying something. Oy vey, I don't know. I don't know. So, but just think about it and, and um, what's taking place in, in the process. So, so, so here's these, in the first verse is what we see, these, these Egyptian war chariots. They're bearing down on the, on the Israelites, um, trapped between, you know, the sea, mountains, the Egyptian army. Um, the, the war chariots would have had two people each, one to drive, one to fight, um, and, and uh, pulled by horses and you know, sort of the armored tanks of their time, if you would, and um, and yet even the the might of the Egyptian army was no match for God, as we're going to see, and uh, and verses ten and eleven. You know, they're, so they're trapped against the sea. That it looks like there's no escape for the Israelites, and that the the Egyptian army is sweeping in, you know, to kill who they would and grab a hold of everybody else and march them back into um, slavery, and. And even though they'd just seen, you know, they just, they're aware of God moving in all these plagues and how they and their area and Goshen had been separated, you know, spared all of them. And yet this just looked like too much and they, they didn't yet really trust in the Lord um, the, the way that they would need to. And, um, and so, uh, you know, as a, one of the things that we need to do is that we, God is so faithful. One of the most important things, I think, that happens in our walk is that we learn to trust Him. I think that that's, it's, it's one of the, the most important things that happens to us and that God wants us to be able to trust Him. And, and what He does is over time, there's these things where we see Him move. And, and we have to remember those things because it, it helps us to be able to look back and go, well, He, you know, he, he did this and, and then He did this and then he did this, and, and, and even though often the, there were difficult situations we didn't understand, we, we can look back and see him moving into those things, and, and over time we can say, but you know, and because we, we knew that, that he would do this, we can trust him today, um, and in the in face of difficult situations, we can still trust him, trust him, and so, you know, it was a building experience for them, even though they'd had quite a few pretty neat things on their behalf, very recent, um, but here it was again, and, and I, I get it. They, they don't have anything to fall back on. Nobody had ever parted a sea before that we know. Uh, so they look trapped. But um, 
but we want to know that God's faithful and, and uh, in the process. And so they're, they're kind of going through this thing. And, and so in verses 11 and 12, we see them start to grumble. This is the first instance of many that's going to take place where they complain. It becomes a major problem over time. And this, uh, uh, for some of them, this lack of trust will actually keep them from seeing and entering into the promised land. In, in fact, uh, um, of this group that left... Um, most of them will never see the promised land because of their refusal to go in at different times when they were, when they were called to do so. And so this, this whole older generation will sort of pass away in the desert and uh, the, the other group will go in. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's a faith issue and it's a lack of faith thing, but it's something we all struggle with. So don't, don't think, well, we, were, we, we have some of the same things, but we see it taking place in, in the beginning here. And... How much better um, life would have been in, if they were if they trusted God? And it's true today. How much better life is when we're trusting um, in the Lord in those things? And so, uh, thirteen, fourteen. The people, you know, they're getting upset. They're they're angry with Moses. They're angry at the Lord. They're in despair. And um, Moses, though, you know, has this attitude that he's, you know, he's been, he's seen the Lord at work, and he, he says, you know what, God will rescue you, and you need to know that, and you're going to see it happen today, and, and, um, and, and so they were, he was, you know, praying and crying out to the Lord, and um, in verse 15, you know, the, he's assured of this, and, and then the Lord says to Moses, okay, it's, it's time to stop crying out to me now, it's time to get going, and, um, there's a time when that happens. You know, prayer is vitally important. I would say everything starts with prayer. Everything is, is grounded in prayer. We need to be praying about everything. But there's also a time when it's time to do something in response. And uh, this was that time. So there was, a, there was a time to move. And he says, let's go. It's time to move. Um, because they, 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 they sort of, they, they were had to start heading in that direction as Moses was getting things going. So, you know, for some of them, it might look like they're just marching into the sea. Uh, and, and so it's a pretty big deal. He said, let's get going. And then, you know, he, however he does it, I don't know, with the staff or whatever, he, and the, God responds with the wind, and there we go. The sea stands up on itself. And uh, it's just amazing. And again, I don't know if you've, but most of us have, sometimes we get in situations, and it just seems like there's no way out. But it's, there's no way out that we can imagine. But God's faithful. Uh, in providing a way out. He always will be, and, and uh, he always has been. And in the midst of all situations, God always makes a way. And so we need to be aware of that um, and, and sort of hang on to that process. Now, the parting of the Red Sea um, sometimes gets uh, a little controversial in um, some people struggle with believing that God can do some of the things that the Bible says that God can do. Um, and they get stuck in things like this because of the way I just described it and who knows because nobody's ever seen it that it's you know physically impossible or you can't do it or it's you know it just can't be done it couldn't have happened that way and so um, they, they, they come up with some alternate ideas uh, about the Red Sea one of those alternate ideas is they they think it was uh, there's a little place over there and they call it the Reed Sea and it was really very very shallow and um, that, that uh, it wasn't a real deep sea. It was a very shallow sea. 
and uh, perhaps they went across there, and, um, uh, you know, or it might even have been dry at that time of the year, and they'll start, but there's a flaw in that thinking, and the flaw is that somehow the entire Egyptian army drowns. And so I've had people tell me that whole Reed Sea thing, and I think, well, then I almost got to think that's even more amazing that God drowned this huge army in a two-foot sea. <laughs> but if you want to believe that one, okay. <laughs> but something drowns this entire army. There's none left. None, none. Boop. Done. Horsemen, chariots, and all. And, you know, like when the Israelites go through, apparently it's dry ground. As the Egyptians go through, the ground's not as dry because the chariots all start getting stuck and the wheels start falling off. And, uh, and, and they, 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 they get stuck right in the process. So not only are they not can't able to get through, they get stuck in there and can't get back out. And the sea just comes um, right over on top of them. And so, you know, um, when, when, when God moves in these big sort of nature miracles, it's a fascinating thing. Um, it was fascinating in the New Testament. And, and you, know, when, you know, when the disciples, I love this idea with the disciples, they, they'd been hanging out with Jesus for quite some time, and they'd seen him um, pray for people, and he'd seen, they'd seen people healed, um, receive sight, um, start to hear, start to walk. They'd seen all those things. But you know when they were really, really amazed is that Jesus was, they were on a boat with Jesus, and, and he was taking a nap in the back of the boat, you know, or in the front of the boat. He's sound asleep, and the storm comes whipping up on them, and they think they're going to die. And they go run into Jesus, and they say, don't you care? We're about to die here. And, and Jesus gets up and looks at the storm and goes, stop. And the whole thing stops, and they were amazed. It, that's the thing that, because it was when he was, when he spoke to nature and it, it demonstrates his authority over nature. See, it was just, it's just mind-boggling. But the God who created everything has authority over it as well. And, and so all these things were taking place. And um, he, he, he performs this miracle at the right time to demonstrate once again, you know, his power and also the, the love he has for his people. And so he's faithful. They're complaining. They're saying, hey, we should go back, and yet he still steps in and does what he says he's going to do. And this is this amazing picture of God's love for us and God's power um, and that we can trust him. Now, it doesn't always mean everything goes like we want. It means we learn to trust him in the process and that he's going to deliver us um, and take us through. Remember, when, you know, in Christ, we were already sort of a part of this major exodus, the, the best one ever, because um, he's made a way for us to follow him into eternity. And, and when that day comes, when he comes at trumpet sound and calls us back, there'll be this, this exodus that takes place that's going to be, um, you know, more amazing than anything that, that we could ever imagine. But all of these are foreshadowing what's coming and what's happening um, with Jesus for us. So that's enough for today. Uh, if you're watching my video, thank you for doing that. We appreciate you doing it. And um, we'd love to see you come and visit us when you get a chance. You can turn off the recording. If you have prayer requests, you can pass them up to me, and I will pray for you. Robert's going around to get them.